No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Christians can rest in the security of knowing they have peace with God for eternity. But that's not the only kind of peace you're meant to experience. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah wraps up the series, Making Sense of It All, by sharing how you can experience the deep, abiding peace of God every day. Listen as David introduces his captivating message, Peace in a Distraught World. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm intrigued by that title, are you not? Um, it decides uh, a lot for us as we hear that title because that's the world in which we live. We live in a distraught world, and the thought of peace in the midst of that is almost like a a non-secular, isn't it? We wonder how could that ever be. Well, it can't be unless God is involved, and we'll see that in just a moment as we open our Bibles to the 14th chapter of the book of John. Uh, tomorrow and Friday, we'll finish up our... February broadcast with a message on the anatomy of praise from Psalm 33. Many of the lessons we have learned during this month kind of end at the altar of worship, and we're going to finish off the month with a special message on the anatomy of praise. Uh, If you're a worship leader or you're into worship, as I hope you are, you don't want to miss Thursday and Friday here on Turning Point. Uh, speaking of how many days we have left in this month, it, it reminds me that I need to be very uh, direct to you about the importance of your getting Rob Morgan's book, God Works All Things Together for Your Good, Living in the Promise of Romans 8.28. We've told you a lot about this book. I've tried to do everything I can to entice you to get it. I want you to have this book on your shelf. Most of all, I want the truth in your heart. As I said at the end of yesterday's program, Somebody somewhere is going to have a Romans 8.28 experience, and you're going to need this book to help you through it. I hope you will get it, read it, absorb it, and keep it where you can find it. You'll also have a temptation to share it with somebody you know who's going through some challenges. The Bible says God works all things together for your good, and you need to know that. So when you send your gift to Turning Point today, Be sure and ask for Rob Morgan's book. It's 200 pages of hope and help and encouragement. It'll be on its way to you before you know it. Peace in a distraught world. That's our message for today. And John 14 is the passage. Let's open our Bibles and open our hearts and let's hear the Word of God. It is a very awesome thing as men and women in our land today to contemplate living free from anxiety. Even if you have your own personal life together, if you have your own family life together, if your financial life is together, there is still a certain amount of anxiety that impacts you by the unpredictable things that happen in our culture. Is it possible for us to go through life with a sense of peace, with the absence of anxiety? Is it possible for us to know direction, and a stability in the midst of such a crazy mixed-up world? 
Well, let me remind you that the world in which Jesus lived and the circumstances in which his promise to the disciples was given was not much different than the world of our today. Jesus gave these words to the disciples on the night before his death, knowing full well the cruelty and the suffering that would be his in the morning, knowing full well the trouble and the pressure and the persecution that the disciples would experience after his death. And yet Jesus said to them, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And those words are words for today. I am grateful to the Lord for my own soul's sake that we happen to be where we are in John. Now, this promise is a promise that is embodied in much of the language which Jesus has already unfolded to his own. He has promised them that the Comforter is coming. He has promised them that there is a place for them in heaven, that he is coming to take them to that place. He has promised them that through their obedience they can maintain their intimacy with the Lord. He has promised them all of these things, and yet as far as we can determine, the mention of peace in the 27th verse is the first mention of that term in these last words of Jesus to his disciples. And yet it is the reoccurrence of the theme that Jesus began this whole section with in the 14th chapter. For he says in chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And he continues that theme at the end of the 27th verse when he says again, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It is important for us to hear those words today. Some of you have troubled hearts. Jesus says to all of us, as he said to the disciples that night, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There is within the message today reason and hope that will dispel troubled hearts and fearful minds. And it is that reason and hope that we are exploring. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers and a man of a past generation, has written of this saying that Jesus gave on the night before his death these words. He said, We may rest well assured that this testament of our Lord Jesus Christ is valid. You have here his own signature. It is signed and sealed and delivered in the presence of the eleven apostles. It is a true testament, and we need to understand that a true testament is not in force while the testator liveth. But Jesus Christ has died once and for all, and no one can dispute the legacy of peace that he has given to each of us. Here is the promise that God has given through his Son, the Lord Jesus, that we may live in the midst of difficult times without a troubled heart and without a fearful spirit. Now, as I read this passage of Scripture, I am reminded that that is exactly how the Lord Jesus expects us to negotiate our lives if we are troubled in our spirit, if we are undone as the world is in the midst of unexplainable circumstances, then what have we to offer them when they look to us for help? If when we come to difficult situations, we say, I don't know what to do, what difference is it for us to say that than for the unbeliever who says, I don't know what to do? The Christian does know what to do. For Jesus said, a man ought always to pray and not ever to be disheartened or to faint. 
We know what to do, and we have that great verse in the Scripture that says we are to cast our burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for us. What a great testimony it would be for the Lord Jesus in our generation if, when tragedies came, the Christian people were the ones who were able not to ignore it and not to be uncompassionate and not to be lacking in feeling or concern, but to take it in the greater context of the sovereignty of God and give to the world around us that is filled with depression and despair a sense of hope because we have come to understand what it means to live without troubled hearts and fearful spirits. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me to the 20th chapter of John's Gospel where Jesus mentioned the word peace once again. And it's in the context of his appearing before the disciples when Thomas was absent. And we read in John chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and he stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. It is as though he would say to them, This is the price that I paid. These are the wounds in my hands and feet and side. This is the price of your peace. Jesus is saying, Peace be unto you, and he reveals the scars of his redemptive work. It is a reminder to all of us that the peace that Jesus is giving to us here is a peace that was purchased with the price of his own blood. It is our legacy because of the cross. He has bequeathed it to all of us. We are responsible to live in light of the great provision that God has given us in Jesus Christ as our peace. Now, the Bible teaches there are two kinds of peace. There is, first of all, the peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Very simply, that is what happens to us when we come to Christ in faith believing. Before having been at enmity with God, we are now reconciled unto the Lord through the death of Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. When a person accepts Christ, The war with God in heaven is over. He has now made peace with his Father. But there is a vast difference between peace with God and the peace of God. And what the Lord Jesus is talking about here is the peace of God. He is saying that it is possible in the midst of traumatic circumstances to have an inward peace that gives you a stability in the midst of a vacillating society. Now... When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he spoke of that peace. He said, we're not to be filled with anxiety, but we're to let the peace of God rule and govern and be the sentinel in our hearts. And then later on, he calls that peace, the peace that passeth all understanding. Men and women, if you know a Christian who has that peace ruling and reigning in his heart, you know that Paul has aptly described it. It is a peace that defies description on the part of mankind outside of Christ. I have watched as men and women of the faith have walked through the death of little children, have walked through the difficulty of tragic death in their own family, have gone through the long and serious episodes of cancer and debilitating disease, and I've watched them with a smile on their face and with hope in their heart negotiate those rough turns as a world looks at them shaking their heads saying, What in the world makes those people tick? 
It is the peace that passeth understanding, and it is the gift of Jesus Christ to all of us as it was to his disciples on that night. Now, very quickly, some things about that peace from the 14th chapter. Notice, first of all, the context of Christ's peace. The beautiful nature of the peace which Jesus Christ gives to his own is wrapped up in the situation that surrounds his bequest. How is it that Jesus is giving this gift to his own? It is the night before his wicked and cruel execution takes place. It is in the context of a stormy, difficult, unbelievable situation in his own life. Anyone can have peace when things are going well, when all is well at home, when physical health is at its zenith, when your financial problems are not too difficult, your children are halfway behaving, and everything is going all right, you can be at peace. And there's no credit to us when we have peace in those circumstances because even the world has a semblance of peace in circumstances like that. But when we can have peace in the midst of difficult times, then that is the testimony that God wants us to bear to this wicked world. And that is why on the night of his crucifixion, he gave this promise to his own to help them understand that the context of this bequest was not the context of everything going well, but it was at the most devastating moment of his earthly life that he said to his disciples, I give you peace. It's my peace. I want you to have it. Some of you have heard of the contest that took place some years ago when some painters and sculptors were asked to express the concept of peace in some artistic work. Many of the renditions came back showing peaceful streams of water rushing through beautifully flowered trees, tranquil sunsets and sunrises. But the award-winning painting was the painting of a small little bird perched on the end of a branch that was hanging out over a thundering waterfall. And the concept was so wonderfully taken because here was this bird in his nest feeling quite secure while everything around him was a total chaotic picture. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus promised his disciples. He said it is possible for us, for you and for me who are Christians, to live in the midst of this crazy mixed up world where indiscriminate things happen and we don't have to be blown away by those problems but we can have a security and a peace and a confidence that comes with a knowledge that Jesus Christ is still in control and even though it may look for a moment like everything has broken loose and there is no control in this universe the one to whom we go in prayer is in control and we can have peace through our relationship with him the context of Christ's peace notice secondly the contrast of his peace He says in verse 27 that the peace he gives is not like the peace that the world gives. He says, neither give I unto you as the world giveth. Now that is a mute testimony to the fact that the world has its kind of peace that it brokers, that it sells, that it gives away. The world has a kind of peace that it offers. We talk about it often in the language of international relationships, in the language of developing relationships between large corporations. Peace is something that the world discusses. And yet Jesus says that the peace that he gives is not like the peace of the world. Let me talk for a moment with you about the kind of peace that the world gives and some of its characteristics. 
I think, first of all, about the peace of the world as being a kind of peace that in many respects is insincere. We could be said at this moment to be at peace with Russia. We are at least not in hostile, open war. People would look at our nations and say they are at peace, but are we at sincere peace? Is there a genuine desire on the part of them, or perhaps even on our part, for there to be genuine, warm, and positive relationships between our two nations? And of course, the answer to that is no, because philosophically we are miles apart. Our peace is simply an outward dressing that covers up the underneath boiling cauldron of strife and under-the-table dealing and all of that. That is the kind of picture of the world's peace. It is peace on the surface with no sincerity. The peace of the world is not only marked by insincerity, but it is marked by inability. If ever there was an illustration of that, it surely is to be found in our attempts to make peace with other nations. The agency in our land which meets to try to solve international problems, in my estimation, is one of the biggest jokes that has ever been perpetrated on mankind. It is impotent. It has no power to do anything except to take up a building and allow people to make impassioned speeches in different languages that nobody understands, nor do they intend to follow. We have all of the desire for peace, but no ability to do anything about it. That's the characteristic of the world's peace. Great speeches, great talks, great individual motivations, but absolutely powerless to pull it off. The world's peace is also marked by inadequacy. The world gives whatever it gives, scantily and grudgingly. It is never able to do what it intends to do. But the peace of Jesus Christ is not like the peace of the world. The peace which Jesus gives is marked by absolute and totally pure motivation. The peace which Jesus gives is a peace which is not only promised, but it is delivered because the one who died and gave it to us in his will has gone to the grave and has been resurrected and now lives as the executor of that will, and he carries out every detail of the legacy. And the peace of Jesus Christ is always enough. You say, but Pastor Jeremiah, I don't have a sense of that overwhelming peace in my own life. If that's true, let me remind you that the fault is not his, but ours. We are sometimes inadequate in our ability to receive what he has provided. It is the contrast of that peace that we need to note. Now, I want you to note, thirdly, the condition of Christ's peace. Once again, we are confronted in the 14th chapter of John with the awesome truth that in order for Jesus to give us what he has promised, it was necessary for him to go back to heaven. He says in verse 28, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and I come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father. Jesus is reminding us again that before his peace can flood our hearts, it was necessary for him to ascend back to heaven and be with the Father. And you say, why is that? I personally believe because the peace of the Lord Jesus is resident in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit could not be poured out upon mankind as he was at Pentecost until Jesus Christ had ascended back to the Father. The Holy Spirit's coming was conditioned upon the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. If I go not, he cannot come, the Lord Jesus said. But if I go away, I will send another in my place. 
And when the Holy Spirit came, he no longer was just with us. He has come to be in us. And so the peace of God, which is resident in the person of the Holy Spirit, now lives in every believer. It is no accident that one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament is the symbol of a dove, the symbol of peace. It is no accident that the name of the Holy Spirit is he is the comforter. He is the paraclete. He is the advocate. He is the one who has come to give us peace within our hearts. He is God the Son's ambassador of peace to every troubled human heart who has put their trust in Christ. And so in order for that peace to be ours, Jesus said that he must go back to the Father. One last thing that we need to say about this peace that Jesus has bequeathed to us, and that is the confrontation of his peace. It is interesting that as we come to the end of this section, Jesus says in verse 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Jesus here mentions the prince of the world, and I'm sure you know that the prince of the world is a term that is a reference to the devil, a term referencing Satan. When he says the prince of the world is coming, he can mean only the coming of Judas to betray him, for the scripture says that Satan incarnated himself in Judas, that Judas became filled with Satan, and so Satan came in Judas to betray the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus knew it was happening. He said, the prince is coming. But notice he said, he has nothing in me. Most commentators believe that means that there was no place or sin within the life of Jesus that could be a handle by which Satan could get a hold on him. Isn't that a subtle reminder to us that Satan needs some kind of fertile territory in our lives if he's going to do his work in us? And whenever we open up an area of sin that is not given to God, then we have given Satan a handle that he can hold on to, and he has something in us that he can do his work. And men and women, let me tell you that Satan is the adversary of our peace. Satan is the one who comes to bring us destruction and dismay and anxiety and despair. And when Satan is actively involved in our lives and we have given him a handle in our lives through our sin, then we have an adversary to our peace that confronts us every which way we go. The one thing that destroys the peace of Christians more than anything else is sin that is harbored in their lives. Jesus said, the adversary has nothing in me, but in his comment about Satan, he reminds us that there is a confrontation that takes place when that peace comes to live within us. God says that he will keep us and guard us and that our lives are in his hands and that if he should choose for something like that to happen to any one of ours, he is in control of the situation. And for me to brood and to worry and to think about and to contemplate all of the tragedy that could happen to me because the tragedy happened over here is to allow Satan to have a handle in my life to destroy my peace. And I need to come back to the word of God, back to the truth of God's word, and let him have control again. Thank God for the peace of Jesus Christ, which comes to fill our hearts when we let him fill our lives. And the Bible says it's a peace that passes all understanding. And what that means is if you've never experienced it, you don't know how to explain it. Only people who have experienced the peace of God in a distraught world can tell somebody else what it's like, and then you still can't understand it. Do you personally experience it yourself? I mean, how in the world can you live in a world like we live in today and be at peace? Only with God. 
and it's possible, and I can tell you I've experienced it. I know what it's like to live in the center of the storm and be at peace. Well, tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to begin two days of discussing the anatomy of praise. We've talked a lot about praise during this series. Every time we open the book of Psalms, we end up talking about it because that's the songbook of the Old Testament. What is praise and what does it look like? Psalm 33 is the answer to that question, and we're going to discuss that tomorrow as we begin the last message in this series, Making Sense of It All. We have a study guide and a series of CDs for these encouraging messages. I would instruct you to go to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. There you will find this offer, this opportunity. You can order these materials and have them shipped right to your home. It's our way of adding value to this ministry. We're not just here to talk to you every morning. We want your life to be changed by the Word of God. And we've created resources to assist in that process, and I hope you'll take advantage of them. And don't forget also, we have a wonderful magazine that's published every month. We now have over 450,000 people reading that magazine. And there's also um, devotionals you can download into your own computer. Find out all about that when you go to davidjeremiah.org, and uh, we'll see you right here tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Making Sense of It All, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine Turning Points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book of comfort and encouragement. God works all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as Dr. David Jeremiah shares his special message, The Anatomy of Praise, here on Turning Point. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And there is still so much work to do. 
Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be? If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV.